Well, hey, I, we are going to continue today in our series, Letting Go of Anxiety. And, and just to open you up into my little window of, of preparing for this, um, this is the, the first time that I have done a series with Jeff Kincaid, like we've alternated weeks, and so I have to prepare this sermon, making sure that I'm not like stepping on his toes in future, or, you know, making sure that I compliment what he's already said, and inherently there will be some comparison made between me and the Jeff Kincaid, which is kind of a big deal, and put some pressure on you, like maybe enough pressure for you to feel anxious. Um, I am, am preaching a sermon on anxiety, and uh, just, we're going to get real personal here, I experience anxiety, right? That's something that I've dealt with, and so I am an anxious person preparing a sermon about anxiety, um, making sure that it fits in the series on anxiety. Um, so, this has been a wonderful, wonderful freeing experience for me. Um, no, no, actually, I'm doing really, really well. This is awesome. I love that we are a church that has a series on anxiety um, because anxiety is a part of my story, right? I'm not a stranger to it. A few years ago, I found myself in a place where I never felt comfortable. I never felt at ease wherever I was, right? And I'm normally an extroverted, really outgoing person, and things that used to, to make me really, really happy and come alive were terrifying to me. And there were places that should have been safe that didn't feel safe at all. And I was on edge all the time. And I would have this, this sense of fear that would sort of follow me around, and it didn't make sense, and I couldn't rationalize why it was there. And it, it was to the point where at some, I actually had a couple of incidents where I had panic attacks. And so I couldn't breathe, and my hands would like involuntarily clench up, and, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And, and when that happened, I said, okay this is enough, we're not going to do this anymore. And so I found myself in a therapist's office, and I said, all right, the first session, whatever we've got to do to make sure that I don't feel this way ever again, that's what we need to do. Okay, like, I don't, I don't care what we need to talk about, you can bring up any subject, let's, like, get in there and get messy, however long we got to talk, however often we got to meet, like, I, I need to not feel the way that I feel, because I don't like not being comfortable being me. I don't like feeling isolated. I don't like feeling like I don't have a connection. I don't like not wanting to get out of bed in the morning. And so whatever we've got to do, let's get rid of this because I don't like it. And at that moment, if he had read to me from Philippians 4, right, if he had opened his Bible and very kindly looked at me and said, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Right? If he had read that in response to me to say, this is how we're going to move forward, I would have said, thank you. Now, do you have anything to help my anxiety? Make sense? Like, really, like, I, I get that's the Bible, and right, I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to really, really like the Bible, but... Reading those verses, they would make a very, very good Hallmark card. They did not seem to do anything about my circumstances that I really couldn't even identify what had created them. So how am I supposed to just like pray and be thankful? I have nothing to be thankful about in my anxiety. The only things I can think about that I should be thankful for create more anxiety because I'm not living eternally grateful for those things. That makes sense to people that have had anxiety. 
And so I find myself, like, I don't have anything to be thankful. And he said, Dustin, here's the deal. What you were experiencing, these little episodes, this feeling that you have, we call that flag-waving anxiety. And he said, that is your body saying, hey, you don't know how to handle stress. You're doing a really, really bad job processing it. And if you continue to do this, we're going to have really, really big problems. And so it's your body putting up a red flag. It says, we got, we got issues. We need to fix this. And he said, so I understand that, that your anxiety is not good, that it's not fun, but it is a gift from God. He has hardwired you to not be okay doing what you're doing. And he has given you a response that says, this is not sustainable. And so you're here because you have had this response. And so you can be thankful in the midst of this that you've experienced it. I thought, touche. But what else you got? (laughs) Right? Because it's a really big deal. And it's really hard. And so often it feels like the answers we get or the answers that we want are, give me the the quick fix, right? What are the tips I can put into place that will change my mindset, that'll help me wake up feeling different? And it involved several months of spending an hour and a half every Thursday morning in an office. But he recognized what, what the Apostle Paul tells the Philippians and what we've talked about for the last couple weeks in here Anxiety, there are lots of physical manifestations of it. It is a spiritual issue, but but it starts in our minds. And if we really want to see anxiety decreased, if we really want to experience relief from it, to experience freedom in it, we're going to have to retrain our brains. We're going to have to reconnect the dots and the wires and figure out what does it look like For us to have a mind that is like Jesus is not the mind that has led us to anxiety. Paul writes a letter to the Philippians. Right, It's just under 2,000 years ago, and and he's telling them about a a lot of things. Right, And and Philippians is a letter written to the church in Philippi. Right, And if you read Acts 16, you can hear the backstory on how Paul knew the church in Philippi. When he was there with his buddy Silas, they were, they were sharing the gospel with people and they were put in prison and God decided to free them from prison by sending an earthquake that would shake their cells open. Paul and Silas stay put and spiritually save the entire staff of the jail and then get to walk out as free men the next day. If you are the church in Philippi, you think that Paul's pretty awesome. Right, That's not like just a dude who's writing a letter. This is a guy that has access to God in ways that you didn't know people could have. And so when Paul says something, you listen. And there's all sorts of little issues that he's writing to them about throughout the letter, but one of the things that he brings up multiple times is anxiety. Things that we're anxious about. And, and he says that we have to change our minds. We have to reorient how our mind operates so that we cannot be anxious. 
And so he follows up that verse with these couple of verses. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Paul is saying, we have minds that are full of a whole bunch of stuff that is not godly. And if we really want freedom from anxiety, we have to retrain our minds. We have to figure out how do we get rid of the stuff that causes anxiety within us and how do we put in stuff that causes peace. Right, and those things that that peace comes from, come from God. And so it's not just psychobabble, it's not just positive thinking, it is literally trying to figure out how do we fill our heads with things that are like God so that things that aren't like God aren't there. How do we process our life in a way that lets us see God at work instead of buy into a narrative of fear? It's a mental battle. And so every week we're looking at a different word in this list that that Paul has given the church. This week we're going to look at the word noble. Right? And that word noble, it can mean it can mean noble or honorable, something that is worthy of of being reverent. Someone that is that is honest, someone that is that is good and virtuous. That, That is what noble is. And so Paul is saying, focus on things that are noble or righteous or honorable. Because those things are much more associated with peace than their opposite. Right? The things that are opposite of noble, those are things that lead to anxiety. And a few of the sources of those things, we're going to go through them. The first one, things that are external that are also impersonal. Okay, externally impersonal things. Those are things that happen in our world around us that we have absolutely no control of. Right? Think things that make the news. Right? It is not hard to look at our news cycle, to look at our social media feeds, and say there are a whole bunch of very not noble things happening in this world. Right? Every week there's a new element of our political system in which a person or or a cause is found to be corrupt and and unmoral, and the only response to that that we are guaranteed is that the person accused will then tell how awful everybody else is. And so what we find out is that nobody is good. There There are very, very, very few things that are noble to be celebrated. It's not hard to look at the fact that tens of millions of young boys and girls are in slavery right now in our world. It is hard to look at stories of children being abused, kidnapped, tortured, sometimes even by their own parents, and think, this is a noble world. I don't know what the things are, but if if that creates anxiety in you, if the realities of our world right now and the way in which they bombard us, if that creates anxiety, Turn it off. Generally, just all cable news. We could turn that off. 
right? And that's not directed to any one network. That's, that's all of them. I, I don't know that my life is ever made better by people screaming about how awful they think somebody else is. If your news feed makes you anxious or fearful about the world around you, turn it off. That's freebie. You're welcome. Because the, the, the sources that I really want to talk about more are the next two. The, the one is things that are external, but also personal. Right? Things that are outside of us that we don't have control over, but they're deeply, deeply personal. And we interact with them all the time. I'm primarily talking about people and relationships in our lives. We don't have any control over other people's crazy. Okay, those aren't Paul's words, they're mine. But we feel the effects of people's crazy all the time. Right? And, and the truth is, is that there are, there are different kinds of people. And Paul talks about these different kinds of people all through his letter to the Philippians. Right? He makes distinctions in every chapter. The first chapter, verses 15 through 17, he says, It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. If you didn't pick up on it, Paul is in prison right now writing this letter. And this guy who is in prison is telling this church, you need to be thankful, you need to be joyful, you need to not be anxious, and he recognizes there are people in this world whose primary motivations are not to see Jesus lifted up in this world or for the well-being of others. Right? At the beginning of chapter 3, he actually refers to a group inside the church as evildoers and dogs. Dog is not a nice thing to call anybody in 21st century America. It's a really not nice thing to call somebody in an ancient Middle Eastern culture. Paul recognizes there are people who do not have the benefit of others at the forefront of their mind. And shocking, these are people who are also proclaiming the name of Jesus. He's talking about people in the church who don't have the primary interest of others' well-being or Jesus being lifted up. If you were surprised by that, welcome to church. It'll take you a few weeks, but you'll find them. There are people in our lives that do not have the best of intentions for you or for Jesus' kingdom. What do we do with that? Well, if you let those people have a great say in your life and how you see yourself, you will find yourself full of anxiety. If you allow people who do not have your best interest or the kingdom of God at the forefront of their mind speak into your life and affect your well-being, you will be full of anxiety. Because your life, your relationship, your, your inner thoughts become consumed with what will they think? How will she respond? How will he react to that? Why did, why did they invite me? 
Why did they not invite me? I wonder what, what they're thinking. I, I wonder how they're going to react to that. I wonder what they might be trying to do. You find yourself full of fear. What does Paul say about those people? He says, even the ones who are preaching in the name of Jesus, I can't, I can't mess with them. God's sovereign, those people don't get to have a say in my life. If there are people in your life that are not about your best interest, do not let them into your inner circle. Because there's another type of person that does need to be in your inner circle, and Paul talks about them too. Chapter 2, verse 19, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Why is Timothy so awesome? Because Timothy doesn't really care about Timothy. Timothy's two biggest concerns in the world are the health of the church to which he's ministering and to Jesus. And Paul says, I've seen it, you've seen it in action, you know it, trust him. And I would ask you, do you have someone like Timothy in your life? Someone that without question, the thing that they want most is for you to be healthy is for you to do well. To see Jesus' kingdom advance in this world. You need as many of them as you can possibly get. And those are the ones that you let in really, really close. And when you let them in close, you listen to what they have to say. Hillary, my wife, is one of these people for me. Now, from time to time, she has to offer advice to me on how I might do a little bit better. It happens, like, annually, at least. And when she offers advice or criticism, I smile and say, thank you so much. This is a gift. I appreciate it very much. Let me journal that so that I can reflect on it regularly. No, I hate it when she criticizes me. I hate it when she brings something to light. But you know what I also know? She loves me more than anything. She wants nothing more than for me to be successful and to be as effective in furthering God's kingdom as I possibly can be. She is completely motivated out of love in everything that she says to me, even when I don't want to hear it. And I will listen to 500 criticisms of someone like that than someone that doesn't have my best interest at heart. And it is so important to know the difference between the two. Notice how Paul says, not only does he care about you and the church and Jesus, I've seen it, I verify it. 
Right? Who are the people in your life that other people you trust and care and, and love you that they say, I like her? That guy, he's a good one. Right? Who are the people that, that those you do trust vouch for and say, that's a really, really good one? Because it's clear in the way that they treat you, that they love you, that they care for you, that they support you. Bring as many of those people in as you possibly can. And then also realize that once you have those people, they will screw up. Right? I won't use my wife as an example because she's perfect and she never does anything wrong. She's not even in here and I said it, okay? Um, and I haven't decided if it's a good thing that it's now on record that I have said she's perfect. Um, don't tell her. Uh, but let's say hypothetically that she were married to someone who wasn't perfect, even though I love her, even though I want her to be wildly successful, I'm definitely not perfect. And if you have a close relationship, even with someone who deeply loves you and cares for you, you will find out at some point they are human. And when you do see faults exposed, if you find things that are not noble, that are not honorable, focusing on those things is a really, really good way to destroy that relationship. Right? Paul's not just talking about, about things that happen to you and trying to like put a good spin on it. He's saying, no, the thoughts that you have, find noble Good, lovely, pure, righteous, just things, and focus on those. And so, in those people that you dearly love, that dearly love you, focus on what is noble about them. Focus on what is good. Focusing on their faults is a runaway train to anxiety. Because you've just made an enemy out of someone that is your best friend. And if you don't have those best friends, or you allow those people who are not good friends into your inner circle, you then get exposed to the most dangerous person in your battle with anxiety, and that is you. Right? The things that are internal and personal. The conversations that you have with yourself. These are not fun conversations for a lot of folks. Right? Part of my personal story is, is because of a couple of relationships in my life that I had, had let have too much say in how I saw myself, I got to a place where I didn't let good things come in. I could not accept good things about myself. And that may either sound insane or like your every day. And if that is every day, high anxiety, friend. Right? What, what happens is, is that someone has told a lie somewhere that you've believed 
and, and you take a step back in isolation and withdraw, and you further walled off people that speak good truth to you. And then you hear that lie, or one that you're really good at telling yourself, and you believe it, and so you take another step back in isolation and withdrawal, and it breeds fear. And when you have found yourself in a place where you allow you to tear you down, you have given anxiety the keys to your life and say, do whatever you want. Right? I was at a place compliments would make my skin crawl because I, I just couldn't, either it wasn't true or they were going to find out what a fraud I was really, really soon. And it wasn't true. But, but I had gotten to a place where I didn't let myself think that because I had not guarded my mind. I would not trained to think the right things. And so, again, this may either sound totally crazy or really, really, really hard, but part of my homework was every day I had to think of two good things I did. I had to just identify, what were two things you did that, that were good? And what do those tell you about your character? And that seems like any, just a silly thing to have to do as a grown man. But it was really hard. Because I had gotten in this nasty feedback loop in which I didn't like to say good things. My mind was not able to think of noble things about me. The reality is, I, I did plenty of noble things, and not because I'm awesome, but because I've given my life to Jesus, and I want to be like him, and he is the most noble human being there's ever been. And so when I try to be like him, I am imitating his nobility. And there is nothing wrong with recognizing I tried to be like Jesus. And so I had to reprogram my mind to catch myself being good. Right? Okay, you did that today. And maybe you're not perfect, but that is you trying to be like Jesus. Do it again tomorrow. And it was a very slow, incremental process. It was not a quick fix. But I had to rewire my brain. Now, what's fascinating is that Paul tells the Philippians, as much as you rewire your brain, it will never be enough. It won't actually fix you. Right? Chapter 3, he says these words. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in their flesh, if someone else thinks they have reasons to believe that they are noble, I am more noble. I've done more good things. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Right? He's saying, if you could think of noble things to do, I was really, really good at it. In fact, I was better than you. I don't know you, but I was better than you. 
I did everything right. But, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He's saying all of that stuff that made me good, all of that all of that positive self-talk, all of that good thinking, it was all garbage. And actually, King James does a little bit better translating it. They say the word dung. If you were to look at the word scubalon that is used there, um, it is a word that a pastor should not say on the pulpit. Just lets you put dung and word pastor shouldn't say. Um, it would have been a word that, that as whoever got to read that letter from Paul was reading it to the church, they would have stopped and said, okay, yeah, that, that's what he says. He's, he's saying, all of that stuff that made me good is just horse scubalon. It's close. Um, it's not gonna be enough ever. The only thing that will ever be enough is if you know Jesus. Because what you find in Jesus is someone who deeply, deeply loves you. Who cared so much that he became one of us and on a cross he took all of our dishonor and he put it on himself so that his honor and nobility could then be put on us. Right? And, and so as long as you're trying to be good enough for God, your best hope is some positive self-talk that numbs you enough to think that you're in. But there is a reality in which you can know you're good. It is when you say, Jesus, I need you. And he says, I got you. And then there is no lie that anxiety or fear or anyone else can tell you that is stronger than what I have done for you. And there is no debating it. It's not conditional. It's already been done. The question is, do you believe it? Do you accept the gift that's been offered? And if you have said yes to Jesus, stop living in fear. Stop living questioning. Whatever narrative has gained traction in your head, if it is not that despite your faults, God looks at you and sees the righteousness of Christ, you have bought into a lie. If you have never known that, if you've never said, I need freedom, 
you should. Because it really is that simple. It really is as simple as saying, I need a different way. And I have bought into a lot of lies that I am tired of running my life. If you've not had that conversation, you should. Have it today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thanks for being a God who can take even anxiety. Thank you for seeing us in a way that is not fair and totally works out in our benefit. Thank you that when you would look at people like us, it's possible that that you could see righteousness, not righteousness that we've earned, not righteousness that we've talked ourselves into believing, but righteousness that is actually real. Jesus, I pray for anyone that hasn't ever really known that. And whether they've been saying your name for a long time, but but it's never really affected at at the heart level. Or, Or they've never had a conversation with you at all. Jesus, I pray that you would show yourself to be a God who is stronger than anxiety today. Lord, would you transform our minds? Would you allow us to think like you, to think the way you think, so that we might see our lives and our world the way that you do? God, may we see it through a lens that is free and is not afraid. Jesus, I pray this in your name.